Welcome to another Ember Weekend. Uh, we uh, we like to talk about newsy type uh, things uh, in and around the Ember ecosystem. Uh, it's a thing that uh, we like to do. And uh, we are broadcasting from Hashrocket HQ here in Florida. I am uh, your host, Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. Also, also a host. I feel like I should have said co-host. I don't know. I'm just going to go with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. All right. Uh, yeah. So this is episode 71 and uh, let's get started. So the first thing we want to talk about is uh, is a really cool series of YouTube uh, like clips, I guess, videos. I don't know. It's on YouTube. I don't know if they're a series of YouTube clips by uh, by Gavin Joyce about how to build a drum machine. Uh, I only watched the second part of this, which had to do with uh, uh, serialization and deserialization, and uh, I I learned a lot. I uh, I haven't uh, done the reopen class within the model file before. I thought that was a really clever place to put that. Uh, so there's a lot of really cool things here. It was a very good test-driven screencast, and uh, I think it sounded, I mean, it seemed really awesome. Yeah, uh, this is a, a project that Gavin had put together, I guess, a couple years ago. Uh, I don't know if it's a couple years ago, but maybe a year ago uh, in Ember 1.5. Um, and he was just kind of updating this for the latest Ember um, and trying to, like, uh, test drive part of it, I guess. Um, but it's uh, it was pretty nice. It uses a tool I've never used before called Howler. Um, we know people that have been doing some music stuff like uh, uh, sequence generators and things like that in, in Ember. Uh, and this one's really cool. Um, and he basically showed how to like update this thing, uh, reusing basically all the same behavior uh, and then test drive part of that. And I thought it was uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it was really great. Uh, I think that there's still a few parts left to go, right? I mean, I guess it, he got up to... Uh, unit testing the model that does the deserialization and serialization in the second episode. Right. Uh, it also used a really cool plugin called LZ string compression, uh, which is designed to like compress JSON that you're going to throw into local storage since you have a limit. Um, and he uses that to put in the URL. Uh, and that kind of reminded me of something that I think, uh, Mahti had said, um, in one of the route, uh, guides that he had done about how really the route is kind of like getting all, you get all the state that you need in order to like represent the model. And this is like the extreme end of the spectrum where the entire model is serialized into the into the route. There's a few more of these uh, screencasts to go. Uh, so I would tune in and try to follow along. Uh, it's a really great learning experience. I really enjoy, uh, the, like I said, the test-driven uh, component to it. I think that was really uh, handled well. And uh, I, I think you brought up a really decent point, which was basically like it's different kind of testing when you kind of know what the application looks like. Uh, so since he's re repurposing a 1.5 app and kind of put it, pulling it over to, uh, to, um, to six, 2.7 or something, I think 2.7, uh, 2.7 app, um, he like testing, you, you definitely have to approach testing slightly differently. Cause you'll, you'll have a lot more knowledge than you would have had, uh, on the first initial, imp like the initial implementation. So, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting like thing, like to, to, to see the test driving, uh, with a little bit of extra knowledge about kind of how you're doing it. And I think uh, that's one of the reasons why, uh, because it is easier to test at that point, I think that's one of the reasons why spikes are so valuable. So you can spike out some stuff so you have a little bit better understanding before you begin the testing process. That ends up being uh, really, really useful. Uh, but as long as you uh, you just have to remember to, uh, you know, not really like stay with the spike for your for your entire life. Yeah, definitely. So, anyways, uh, check it out. Uh, it's uh, it's up on YouTube. We'll post a link to uh, to it, and uh, yeah, it's awesome. So, late last week, Adolfo Builas posted a blog post on the uh, Envoy Engineering Team's blog, 
uh, and it was about how they automated their Ember deployments using Ember CLI deploy and some GitHub hooks. Uh, and it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I really like this. Um, so they, they obviously uh, kind of dovetail in like many um, deployment blog posts that I've read on the Luke Melia talk um, from RubyConf 2014 about lightning fast deployments. Uh, but then they, you know, they obviously fast forward about two years, because I think that was in 2014. Uh, fast forward about two years, and now Ember CLI Deploy kind of makes a lot of that stuff really easy. So they they walk through, uh, or Adelpha walks through how um, how they use uh, Ember CLI Deploy in the plugin system there to make that really easy and integrate really well. Uh, and then they realized that even though that's all nice and good, they were still having to manually you know, whenever a PR was accepted, they would have to deploy it to staging and they'd have to do all this stuff manually. And uh, essentially the rest of the blog post is outlining how they automated this process. So uh, with a combination of, uh, of Git hooks and uh, some Slack integration and, uh, um, oh, I'm sorry, it's not Git hooks. It's a, although they do use a GitHub, Git hook, it's a, a GitHub deployment event that they can tap into, which is, uh, which is pretty sweet. Uh, so I definitely recommend uh, reading this blog post if you're Kind of investigating how to kind of automate um, some of the the more annoying tasks of your day to day development efforts. Um, what they call or what, what they their their mantra uh, throughout this blog post was basically uh, automate the mundane. So uh, each time they would be like, oh yeah, we really simplified this, and then they would end up with you know a couple of things that could probably be automated, and then they would remove those, and then they end up with like a little bit less to automate, and so on and so on and so on until they have this really nice you know. Slack integration where a PR gets merged and you know everything gets deployed in the correct way and uh, you only have uh, so they're using a Travis hook for uh, after success to actually do all the deployments which uh, ensures that uh, everything's green and uh, you know you can kind of push with confidence uh, so I I really like it I think uh, kind of frees up the developer to to not worry maybe so much about about uh, the the minutia. Uh, and rather really focus on the feature uh, features that they're developing. Uh, so it's really cool. And like I said, uh, it's a it's a very like the there's a lot of it's rich in in code snippets. So I would go there if you're if you're investigating ways to automate some of your uh, deployments process. Uh, it's a really great place to start. Yeah, definitely. Um, I really think removing these little you know uh, mundane like checkout you know deploy locally kind of things to review the code and like just automating the deployment and letting, having a tag to just look at and say, yeah, it looks good. And, you know, and then they, you know, put that command in the Slack message to deploy it. So you don't really have to think about much. You just, you know, can, especially if you're in the middle of working too, you can just see what somebody else is working on. And if you're the one responsible for deploying, check it out. You know, you know that, you know, the test pass if it, or it wouldn't be there. Um, and then you, you know, easily deploy it. So it's amazing. Yeah, it's very cool stuff. Uh, so Anyways, uh, yeah, check check out the uh, check check out the blog post. It's it's like I said, it's pretty detailed, so um, it might take I don't know five ten minutes of reading, maybe a little bit longer, and uh, and it might help uh, you know kind of think about uh, ways other people are doing teams. I find anytime uh, uh, as a consultant we we set up deployment processes, usually we use like you know we try to use patterns and stuff, but it's always nice to see uh, different takes on on certain things. And uh, the community, the Ember community, has really unified around Ember CLI deploy which makes everything so flexible and easy and uh, you can make customizations so so simply. So uh, it's really exciting to see blog posts like this come out where you see innovative ways where all these nice convenient tools come together in, uh, in one like actual cohesive process. So it's pretty cool. So the last thing we're gonna talk about is something that uh, actually came up at GemConf. Um, and uh, there was a, I guess, I guess there was like kind of a, it was, it was actually about uh, 
reactive programming, I want to say. Uh, but Taras, uh, in, in that talk, he actually ended up kind of showing us this really kind of crazy looking uh, D3 uh, template rendering kind of helper thing uh, called Ember Sparkles. And uh, Chase, Chase has been diving into it really uh, a lot more than me, but it's super cool. Uh, the, it seems like the flexibility of the template templating system has enabled some really, really great, like simple ways to interact with D3 to create really nice vi visualizations. Oh man, that's a hard word to say. Wow. wow. <laughs> I, am a, I am a podcaster. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, so uh, so it's really cool. I mean, we've been investigating it this this morning, uh, trying to you know uh, get some demos working and stuff like that. And it's been really really cool. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I I can't wait to actually try this out in a in a project because it's I mean it looks so nice. And I, I I guess this was developed for Locus Energy's dashboard for their solar panel uh, services. Um, but the you know the behavior like the animations, the automatic animations you get out of this are pretty sweet. I mean, if if you mess with D three. It's easier than you know coding SVG yourself, uh, and you know so obviously it adds some something to it. But it's always felt very like I don't know too verbose because um, D three is kind of like gives you a bunch of tools, but it doesn't really like give you any prepackaged you know chart where you can say here's my data. I want these columns represented, you know, in this you know uh, like this axis or something. It, it's much more like you're controlling every little bit, and it ends up like the graphs just become super verbose. Um, so. This does a really good job of kind of building on top of another tool called Ember D3 Helpers, um, which already is abstracting some of the stuff and like the, um, you know, did insert element kind of stuff um, so that you don't have to manually, uh, you know, add those D3 hooks into uh, the component when it gets added to the page and all that. Uh, and this adds uh, just really good uh, data binding, basically. I, I know that's kind of a bad word with reactive development. Uh, but basically, if you change your your data, the component gets re-rendered, but autom with automatic hooks into the animation and everything, uh, and that's awesome. That means like you can change what the y-axis is, you know, uh, value is running off of, or you can you can change like the scale, uh, or you can just change the values in the data. And so their examples are just like randomizing the data, and even doing that when they animate in between the two, they just look just amazing. So you can imagine yeah, they look really great. Yeah, you can imagine this would be really great for something like a, you're, you know, when you're zooming out of data. And you want it to kind of like compress and show like more of the future dates or like, you know, you're scrolling through like left or right and you want to like change what's, you know, uh, what time range you're looking at. This would look really, really cool. Yeah. And the demos are, are really neat. I like how you can kind of view the code and the code that uh, the JavaScript code that generates the data. And then also you get the template where it actually like invokes everything. So you can kind of uh, piece everything together yourself, uh, which is nice. I mean, if I wanted to, you know, pull in a graphing library, I would end up, you know, trying to find demos elsewhere and stuff like that. So I, I really appreciate all the, the effort went there. Um, but yeah, it, it gets pretty wild. Like uh, some of the examples uh, of the more complicated graphs that uh, Taras showed at GemConf uh, were really wild looking because you end up, you know, really leveraging a lot of the sub expressions that you can do in uh, handlebars templates to kind of, you know, make this stuff, uh, I guess, more declarative inside the template. Um, but it gets, you know, it gets kind of gnarly. It really walks that line between, uh, we had a really good conversation at GemConf about you know, how far can you push all this logic into the templates? I think uh, Todd Jordan even mentioned that uh, one, of, one of the graphs was like, I don't know, maybe 40 lines or something like that uh, in a template, and there was no HTML. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, I, th I, I think it's super powerful, uh, but it, it definitely is, uh, it's definitely pushing a lot of boundaries. So I think it's a very exciting uh, place to kind of start investigating to see, uh, you know, what, what you can do.
It's cool. Yeah, I mean, if you look at any of the examples that are in, on this page, uh, the the pie, the line, bars, and all that kind of stuff, none of them have any HTML in their HPS file. Um, and, you know, makes sense. They're mostly generating SVG. Um, they probably have just like a wrapping div or something around them. Uh, but the um, there it is interesting. Like, you, you can see that there there is a place for the backing component. It's not like everything is pushed in there, um, but it's more about, like, just getting the data and then, and then binding it to, like, a couple... Uh, a couple columns maybe, um, and then dealing with actions and things like that. Um, so okay. the, the, the template is where all of the kind of like setting up of like labels and things like that goes. And you could, you could just as easily move this into the component. Um, but because of the way the library is, you'd still be mapping it in the template. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't look bad. I, I really think that it's much more readable than, you know, D3 and JavaScript yeah. is. Absolutely. So, and and then really, like, uh, you know, because people were saying, I don't want this, I don't want to keep writing this as very verbose or something. I want something uh, more abstract. Um, that's that's what you that's what you're going to do with it. You most likely you would create some like app specific graph that you know you're rendering, like a list of exactly you know people, and or, or or I guess people stats or something, and you would just give it the array of people or the array of some data. Um, and say render these things, and it would know how to do that. And that's your component. You wouldn't you, you wouldn't deal with this in all of your components. You would deal with it in like the ones that render graphs. Right. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I like just to be clear. I mean, kind of coming back uh, around. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's really cool. I just uh, I think that um, it definitely it definitely raises questions about what is the responsibility of the template. And that's, I think that was also the, the conversation we had at GemConf and it's kind of an open question. I don't, I don't think there are necessarily answers. This is a great abstraction. I think it's really well, well, well written and it has a really, a lot of really cool examples. Um, I just think that it, it, it opens up a lot of questions about, you know, where things belong and, um, and how much we can really leverage handlebars. Um, because right now the answer is like a lot, like as much as you want, really. Yeah. Um, you can almost write your own uh, language. And with, uh, I think Charles Lowell just released uh, Emberlet. You could kind of fake the funk, so to speak, by binding stuff, uh, like instances and stuff. And you can kind of write your own little mini programming language inside of handlebars. It's, I don't know, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot to it. So uh, I don't know, I think this pushes a lot of boundaries and it's really a uh, very exciting technology. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, if you want to, you know, track along and be, you know, part of the conversation, and maybe uh, you should take a take a look at Ember Sparkles. And I know uh, I know they're still looking for feedback, and maybe some uh, some extra eyes on it to to help uh, flesh out some of the some of the different use cases. So um, I think that would be you know very much appreciated. Uh, and if you ever want to talk about uh, some of the different things uh, that the questions around the templating stuff, uh, reach out to to us. Um, that's a conversation I like to have. So it's cool. So the last thing we want to mention is that the uh, call for proposal for So Ember is uh, is uh, open now. So if you have any desire to speak at a conference, uh, now is a really good time to start putting an abstract together. I know uh, with with all these conferences, the earlier you submit an, uh, an abstract, the more help you'll get, uh, and the more likely you are to to be chosen. So if you have any desire to speak, uh, this this is going to be a really great conference. It's out in San Diego. It's on January twenty uh, seventh of next year. Uh, so actually not that far away, even though I said next year. Um, yeah, and it's going to be, it's going to be great. Uh, so I know, uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, people up in the Northeast who are going to be, uh, pretty excited to go to this conference because it involves going to a place that's a little warmer. Um, so, uh, 
yeah, so look forward to that. And uh, the, oh yeah, the one thing I need to mention is that it closes November 11th. So uh, yeah, so get on it. All right, thanks for listening to another Ember Weekend. Uh, yeah, it was great. I I am really excited to hear all of the uh, the the comments about the templating conversation we had. Of course, it's going to be an interesting uh, set of conversations. I think. Yeah, definitely. And if uh, just a, just as a side note, um, I tried to get that working in uh, Ember Twiddle and couldn't. If anybody else has gotten it to work, or if they know the, the reason why, I don't know how to debug when an add-on doesn't work in Ember Twiddle because the errors don't come through. Um, but I definitely want to mess around with that and never twiddle. Yeah, that would be really cool. So uh, anyways, uh, yeah. Um, so uh, if you'd like uh, to follow along with uh, with us here at Ember Weekend, uh, you can tune in on Twitter. Uh, we're Ember Weekend, all one word, uh, on uh, on there. And then uh, if uh, if that's not your speed and you like uh, RSS, you can, uh, you can always follow us um, by adding to your favorite feed reader. Uh, emberweekend.com slash feed.xml and uh, oh and I'm Jonathan Jackson uh, Rondell underscore SC on Twitter and I'm Chase McCarthy and uh, you know that's Chase underscore McCarthy on myspace.com there it is. I love that. <laughs> is that actually your, is that actually your myspace yeah that's account? actually it it's- oh man <laughs> have you have do you have access to it now like I don't have my password for my MySpace. no yeah it's still there like the same picture from like 10 years ago or something amazing amazing that's that's wonderful uh, yeah anyways we'll be back next week thanks for tuning in see you next week <laughs>